And welcome to another edition of Killinois with Bird and Cam. This is your boy Bird, and as always with me, Cam. Cam, how are we doing, my love? Good. Had a eventful weekend along with being sick, but uh, yeah, just hanging out, just rocking, yeah. living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah. What about you? How oh boy, you? where the fuck do I even start? Well, like I said, I'm currently unemployed. Again, well, it was attempts, so I mean, you know, they said yeah. to come back in October, mm-hmm. but I, I have all this free time to myself and all this money, and I think, you know, I say if I go back a couple months down the road, listen to this, and I have nothing, I'm going to feel sad hearing me say I <laughs> have money, so I remember this, I remember the good times why when I was loaded-ish, so... <laughs> What he's really saying is he's prostituting himself for you guys. Hey, man. Oh, hey. Something <laughs> for the bag. Anything for the bag. But, guys, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. You're taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to these two schmucks talk it up and shit. And, boy, we have a really good Danny. Oh, we're back in Chicago. We've been road tripping a lot. Um, And we got a really, really, really special one for you and it's a unsolved it's a good thing that we say we use unsolved mysteries theme and and soon when it gets copyrighted we ever blow up but like this is one of those few episodes where hey the theme actually serves the purpose of the uh, of the show because i mean you have a chicago politician a dirty politician at that surprise surprise but then you have this murder that goes unsolved that's been like that for omer oh omer what the fuck is a omer oh my god it's not it's 10 o'clock and i'm already tongue twisting but over 56 years and you think about it too it's like okay well how how much are they looking into this case now with this dirty politician that everybody knew about mm-hmm it's like, okay, well, it's unsolved. Let's just put it in the back of the show. Yeah, but I mean, there. it's, it's, it's more, like I said, it's more than just meets just, you know, dirty politics. I mean, this is a lot. We're talking about sex. We're talking about race. We're talking about gambling. We're talking about all of these factors. And when it's all said and done, you know, this investigation yielded a lot of of suspects and this is probably one of the reasons why it was still unsolved because you didn't have any clear cut aha who did this and why yeah everybody seemed to have a motive to and, and i guess we might as well fill in we're talking about the unsolved murder of chicago alderman benjamin lewis who was gunned down in 1963 again this is still unsolved to this day so yeah this is very, when I was doing the research for this, I mean, this is very, I was like, why haven't I heard, you know, this before? And it's not been a lot of information out there mm-hmm. as compared to other, I guess, you know, I mean, this is a city famous for, you know, murders, high profile murders, stuff we've done in the past um, that you guys can find on the archives on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher and wherever you listen to podcasts. But yeah. This one is kind of like flies under the radar. Exactly. So I'm I'm actually kind of excited to um, talk about this. Um, like you said, there's a lot of different different 
areas that we're going to be covering in this um, story. So I'm curious, do you think there's more information they just don't want to release or they just don't have the information? Well, I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, you have FOIA uh, where you can always get like police records and newspaper clippings where you couldn't, you know, whatever the nature. But I know there is a documentary um, that I don't know if it's in the works, but this uh, invest is investigative journalist had uh, pulled some resources and he did a documentary that it's really worth your while and we will um, show we will provide the link when this goes up. But I mean, it's and who knows it's that or maybe it's some people who are still alive because again this murder happened in 1963. But maybe there are people who are still alive who prefer that you know, this case stays cold. That's what I'm thinking. That, or, that was my main thought, thinking that there's probably people still out there that don't want this case solved. Mm -hmm. And then there's also people out there that don't care in the sense of they felt that they were robbed or cheated. Right. When their politician, you know, was... uh, you know, a bad egg. <laughs> the definition of a Chicago politician. Yeah, and like I said, and it's, and we're going to get into all facets of this. This is a very kind of like fascinating study of Chicago politics in the mid-20th century. I mean, really in the prime of Chicago of the Chicago machine and Richard J. Daly. Like, we're really going to get into that meat and potatoes. But, you know, overall, just a really, really... That's during the mind. Obvious, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, but the mob. Oh, yeah. And like I said, we, we'll talk mob as well. But that said, um, can <laughs> you hit the good folks with a disclaimer? Absolutely. So as Bert said earlier, we just want to thank all you guys for listening to us. A bunch of a bunch of jabronis just talking out of our butts. Um, but thank you. If it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be doing this. Um, but at per usual, the, we get these notes, these articles, this information from various sources. Um, we, he- we are just here to report and do our um, job. So if there's anything that seems incorrect, unjust, out of the ordinary, please let us know. Hit us up on Illinois with Bird and Cam. Um, you can also hit us up through KPod, which is our official Facebook page. We will be adjusting that. Um, but we do want to remind everyone to, if there's a, if you're ever in a situation, um, or you feel, um, unsafe, please call, please reach out to your local crisis hotline, your local, uh, to friends, family, to anyone. And, um, yeah, we're just here to report and do our job. All right. That said, you ready to do the damn thing? I am ready to do the damn thing. All right. And that said, um, we go to the saga of Benjamin Lewis, who was born in Macon, Georgia in 1909. When he was a kid, Lewis moved to Chicago's West Side with his family, attending Crane High School and Crane Junior College. And this move by Lewis was a precipice of the Great Migration, where millions of African Americans moved from the Jim Crow, Jim Crow South to the North for better financial opportunities and to escape an unjust, violent environment. Lewis was a clerk in the United States Unemployment Service from 1938 until World War II broke out on the U.S. side following Pearl Harbor. And Lewis enlisted, eventually earning the rank of second lieutenant in World War II, 
moving to the 24th Ward after the war. Now, the 24th Ward, located on the west side, includes the neighborhoods of North Lawndale, South Austin, and West Garfield Park. So, Lewis served as a bus driver for the Chicago Transit Authority prior to quitting to that job in 1955. Three years before, he became the precinct captain in 1952. The first African-American won in the 24th Ward. It began in the 1930s as a home-growing Jewish political group that helped citizens obtain city and social services in exchange for their votes. It was powered by an army of local precinct captains who were rewarded with the city uh, uh, patronage jobs. In the 1950s, the ward's leaders allowed these Jewish precinct captains to retain their city jobs. Even though they and the rest of the ward's Jews have moved out of the ward, political leaders also recruited black precinct workers and appointed Benjamin Lewis, excuse me, Benjamin Lewis, a black year-speaking former bus driver to the city council because they trusted him to follow their orders. So Lewis will grow, go up the ranks in the 24th Ward, becoming a city housing inspector by 1955 and ultimately alderman, which meant a seat on the Chicago City Council. And Lewis was elected to that seat on April 8, 1958, defeating Arthur N. Hamilton. But the victory was not without controversy. Controversy. What the fuck is it? I am just on a roll. Controversy. Like I said, again, it's not... Controversy. Yeah, we go. This isn't killing... It isn't killing annoying if you don't have technical issues, Cam ranting, or me flubbing words. I mean... That's pretty much the hallmark of this show. But anyway. That's have, why you guys love us, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is unfiltered. Like, hey, fuck, fuck editing. Who needs that shit? Yeah, nah. This is the OG, bitch. OG, baby. So, <laughs> Hamilton appealed the decision, alleging such irregularities. Again, there I go, fucking up. As election judge misconduct and voter bribery. Judge Carl H. Smith dismissed the suit holding the complaint to be insufficient. And it makes you wonder that with Lewis's influence greatly intact by that point in the 24th Ward, whether that was credence, and I believe so as we get more in detail of the political nature of Chicago, especially during this era. So, throughout his tenure, Lewis encountered numerous controversies. This included a flash lifestyle, including expensive jewelry, trips, and suits despite an $8,000 salary. The fact that he referred clients to insurance business and commissions of business for referring clients to another insurance agent, Arthur X. Elrod, in his battles, oh, I'm sorry, in his battles with Miss uh, Disparging, remarks towards Southside African American leaders, such as fellow alderman William. D- L. Dawson. When asked how he stood on an unsuccessful attempt by Dawson and others to replace Fifth Ward, Alderman Leon dispressed with an African American, he replied that, I stand right as at Kedzie and Roosevelt in my ward. And this, uh, to his contentions, however. Constituents. Constituents. There we go. Constituents. We are, man. You know, we need to stop recording at like 9 or 10 o'clock. Yeah, we need to do this earlier because we are, that's like, we need to do this when the sun's still out. Yeah. So, any Hubert, 
Lewis was regarded actually as a hero. So hard to believe after he's been called out and almost pretty much caught. Sounds oddly peculiar. Anyways, he publicly combat. Um, excuse me. Lewis publicly combated poverty and especially aimed to uplift the youth community via financially backing local youth baseball teams and Christmas parties for children, as well as reforming uh, lingering issues such as opening uh, polio vaccination clinics, which to this day, get your vaccinations, people. Sorry. Sorry if you're against that, but get your fucking vaccinations. Anyways, your polio vaccination clinics, and he attempted to consolidate the wards overcrowded local schools, which in those days forced students to attend separate morning and afternoon shifts. And I can't imagine how the school stops were back then. But that's got to be taxing as all and morning, their bullshit. So. Morning and afternoon shifts. Like, that just... That's interesting. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of how they used to do it with the newspapers. They would have the morning edition, afternoon edition, and late edition. Like, or, like, or like the news now. It's like you have the early morning, then you have the average morning, then you have like the afternoon, what's up, and then you have after work, and then you have late at night. Right. Ugh. Boy. Thank God we're millennials. But Lewis, for <laughs> all of his might, had to operate out of the structure of a vast political machine that we alluded to in the beginning of the show. Izzy Horowitz, the 24th Ward's political boss, needed to deliver black votes to stay in power. Lenny Patrick, the ward's Jewish crime syndicate boss, needed protection from the ward's politicians to keep operating, and this was all to ensure that the mayor, Richard J. Daley, would be re-elected. Engaging the political sphere of Chicago, uh, Professor Bill Savage of Northwestern University said it best on how Chicago has operated especially in those days. And Savage had pretty much said that the Chicago way is accessible for corruption in a way which favors political insiders, that keeps money flowing into bank accounts, and maintains the status quo. And when Lewis becomes Alderman, he enters a political environment that is run by virtually one man daily. So there's literally no checks and balances. No. Because there's always no, some. No. Fuck no. You, not everyone is checking everybody. So um, as the Cook County Committee Chairman, in addition to being mayor, Daly wielded power to the extent that following the 1960 election, many considered him the second most po- powerful politician in America. And that was just below the president. And am I bad to cut you off? But like, and it's. The funny thing That's about a lot of that, fucking power. Yeah, but the, the funny thing about that is a lot of people think that he was the reason why the president, the, the, he was one of the main reasons that a lot of people think that the 1960 presidential election was won by the Democrats because there was a lot of shady shit in Chicago and stuffing votes and, and what nature. Like, very, that would be something fun to cover. Mm-hmm. Nothing, unsurpri- nothing uncommon to what uh, was alleged with Benjamin Lewis, but yeah, you can continue. Exactly. So, the fun thing about Chicago politics, there's fucking smoking mirrors in there, so... Yeah. Get ready, man. Oops, sorry. Sorry if you heard that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I heard it. <laughs> My phone, uh, hello, Kayla. <laughs> Anyways, Bailey wielded power to the extent that following 
So elected as chairman in 1953 and mayor just a few few years later, Daly subsequently took the reins of a political machine that had been constructed under the CERMAC, Kelly and Nash era. The machine's hierarchy was constructed in a manner that closely resembled the Chicago outfit. Chicago outfit that we have covered in the past with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which again you can find in the archives. But instead of associates and soldiers that were the bottom of the heap in a mafia structure, the roots of the machine consisted of everyday people who performed menial services such as ditch digging or custodians in public buildings and hospitals and precinct captains were mirror image of capos running up the rounding up the everyday workers around election time as they were in charge of delivering the democratic vote in their precincts and above them were committee men advisors of the mayor who resembled more or less the underboss to the don now the flow of the machine, especially during election season, was centered on getting people out to vote with steep rewards for underlings who abided by the status quo. For precinct captains, this meant that they can keep their jobs, and if they perform at a consistent basis, they can move up the ladder. So, consider the case of Lewis, who became the precinct captain in 1952, and within less than a decade, found himself as alderman. Hell, after all, Daly himself started out as a precinct captain, working his way up the ranks to run the machine after 30 years of service. However, strict consequences were enacted upon those who did not do as they were instructed. This was especially the case from poorer precincts, as Mike uh, Royko in his book Boss demonstrated. They demonstrated the types of unwavering threats citizens from those areas faced from a precinct captain. Don't vote and you might lose your public housing department. Don't vote and you might be cut off welfare. Don't vote and you might have building inspectors poking around the house. And we touched on uh, that a few minutes earlier. One of the charges that Lewis's opponent for Alderman claimed was that the voter bribery was in play. So you can really be the judge on that. So, so going back to Lewis, his political stock was steadily rising. On February 26, 1963... He won re-election by, get this, Cam, a decisive 12,189 votes to his challengers, 888. Oh, Jesus Christ. Fuck. But no, his... it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, whatever the word fucking is I can't think of right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, and going back to, you had the mayor race earlier this year with, uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, who everybody thinks is like uh, BE or whatever the fuck, which is just so weird. But um, Mayor Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle, and we, we, that was a route, and she took three fourths of the vote. If you kind of size this one up, 12,189 to 888. Wow. Now, either that's somebody, either he's very popular, or it's a lot of, you know. A lot of, uh, shenanigans, maybe some shenanigans going on, but that said, even with this impressive victory, his eyes were on an even bigger prize. The West Side's white U.S. congressman, 84-year-old Thomas O'Brien, had suffered a stroke the year before and spent most of the year fighting for his life at the Decida Naval Hospital. 
And amid much speculation, Lewis was quoted in a newspaper that he was ready and willing to run for O'Brien's seat when it became available. Two days after his re-election, on February 28, 1963, the ambitious and colorful enigma of Benjamin Lewis reached a violent and mystifying halt. Ella Lewis, Ben's wife, was overly worried when she woke up in the middle of that night to find her husband wasn't home two days after being re-elected alderman to Chicago's 24th Ward. She told a Tribune reporter later on that his shoes, which he always left outside the door of his bedroom, were not in the usual place. She would go on to say in an interview with the Chicago Tribune that knowing the sociable nature of her husband, Ella didn't think much of it and assumed that he was out in the town. However, when she woke up the next morning, she got a call from the police asking her to come to the 24th Ward Democratic Organization headquarters at 3604 West Roosevelt Road. And it will be there, Kim, that she learned that a janitor had found Lewis's body on the floor. He had been handcuffed. There were three bullet holes in the back of his head. His fingers were gripping a filtered cigarette. Ash trailed along the floor, dead on arrival. On Execution style, I see. Yeah. That, to me, screams game related. Oh, yeah, and we're going to, you know, we're going to speculate, you know, later on without getting ahead of stuff. But yeah, that's, that's, it's not like, and you know, these, these murders in this, in Chicago, especially with gangland style, like you, you can't just shoot them. That's, that's, that is a message. That's a message yeah. murder. This like, is, this is, this sounds like it was a personal murder. Exactly. Whoever was, Seems like they must have had some type of deal going on, and it didn't go right, and this is a simple aftermath. Yeah. Um, because back then, too, that's, that's remember, it was Chicago's home of the mobsters, like, we don't fuck around. Anyways, um, Alderman ben- Benjamin Adamowski, the Republican candidate for mayor in 1963, thought the Democrat machine didn't want the crime solved. Running against Mayor Richard J. Daley, Adamowski offered a city council resolution calling for an investigation. When it was tabled, he asked why during a radio interview. Is it because they want to hide the fact that the policy racket has been operating wide open in the 24th Ward? Hmm. Adamowski charged. And off of the radio interview, Daley tried to save face and ordered the state's attorney's chief investigator to the probe. The investigation quickly determined one thing. Lewis wasn't killed during a robbery. He was actually found wearing a diamond ring, a gold watch, and there was cash in his pockets, along with his wallet, which wasn't taken. Lewis drove a luxury car and took golfing trips to Mexico. He bet big money on a single stroke. That's what the Tribune actually reported. So his lifestyle dwarfed an alderman's $8,000 salary. I kind of want to know what's the conversion. Like, was it eight thousand to today's money? What is what? What was the year? Nineteen sixty-three. That was his salary. Mm-hmm. So I mean, to to do all of that on that that salary, yeah. So it'd be sixty-six thousand one hundred and thirteen. So I mean, that's a modest salary. Yeah. In, in today's it's day pretty, and age, but you can't yeah. you can't do all you can't be uh, a limousine riding, jet flying, 
will and dealing, kissed and stealing, son of a gun. That's... You can, but you have to save up your goddamn money to do so, and that takes a while. Yeah. yeah so, this took far too short of a time for them to do that. <sighs> so, an autopsy had found 27 milligrams of alcohol in the stomach, and that was equivalent of one or two shots of whiskey. Uh, no surprise here. For me, I should know that. So not a we whole lot that. was in there. Yeah. So, which was interesting, when the Tribune stated that when the report was released, people, police had been unable to find any person who had seen Lewis take a drink in the past, even a celebration or election victories. And pretty much, he was described as a teetotaler or someone who doesn't drink. Unless he had a specific someone he needed to please. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, we'll get to that. So, the time of death suggested that Lewis and his murderer could have had a final conversation. Perhaps there was some kind of failed negotiation or, again, the conversation could have gone, you know, awry. But the reports would go on to state that Lewis may have shared his first and last drink with his killer. Now, his wife, Ella, would tell the Tribune that her husband was extremely nervous just weeks before his murder. When the doorbell rang, he insisted on answering it, Ella Lewis said, recalling him warning, you better hope that nothing happens to me. And again, Lewis had really good reason. Because as we will touch on, it seemed that everyone would have the means and motive and opportunity to want him dead so much that years later... Police attribute this more than anything why this case reached a standstill. So, let's go back to the 24th Ward, which had been long voted rich from the Jewish politicians. President Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, saluted it as the greatest Democratic ward in the nation. So that's a pretty big honor. But after World War II, blacks moved into the West Side, Lewis among them. Even as Jews continued to dominate the ward organization and the patronage jobs that went with it, Lewis was the ward's first black precinct captain. In 1961, when he became a committee man, while also serving as an alderman, 37 of the 58 precinct captains were still white, who no longer lived in the neighborhood. The same was true of Erwin Izzy Horowitz the ward's longtime power broker. Lewis was actually replacing the white patronage job holders with blacks, which really ruffled a lot of feathers. Now, other blacks thought he was moving too slowly, and detectives asked the ward organization for a list of fired patronages, uh, patronage workers and payrollers, like court bailiffs or deputy sheriffs or whoever would have access to firearms and handcuffs. So you have those political motivations to, to get them whacked. But then there was even the belief that the Lewis murder was gambling related. Now, it was never known if Lewis himself was involved in these practices that could have resulted in debts. And after all, he was known to be a free spender and sociable person. So it's not that much of a hypothetical stretch. 
But what was known was that gambling operations and 24th Ward were dependent on an unholy coalition of hoodlums with cops and politicians on the take. And maybe they thought that with Lewis sometimes going into business for himself with ruffling the feathers of other powerful men that they saw him as a threat to the status quo. And nevertheless, police would question brothers Charles and Sam English, who controlled the gambling operations of the 24th and 28th wards, alongside Lenny Patrick, gambling boss of the 24th, 49th, and 50th wards. So while speaking to Patrick, police learned that two of his henchmen, Tommy Shaky Tom Anderson and Jimmy Kid Rivera Williams, were actually involved in the dilemma with Lewis. So was it gambling related? No. It all actually stemmed because Lewis made advances on the Anderson's wife. And Williams had threatened to kill the alderman, presumably on Anderson's behalf. Now remember, he also has a wife too. So this, this I guess, assumption or thought process is interesting as well because it does. we do find out that Lewis was actually a womanizer, according to an investigator. And they say he had a broad for every night of the week. So oh. that was according. Yeah, apparently, I was going to say, apparently he wasn't too loyal to his wife. Mm. But according to Frank Flanagan, the guy had a new new bitch for every day of the week. Oh. And he had was actually head of the homicide detail in 1963. So six women actually came forward and admitted to having affairs with Lewis, who... He paid their rent, bought them clothes, and gave them money. Figuring his wife couldn't have liked that, the cops brought Ella Lewis for her in for questioning. And she just simply said, Ben Lewis shut me out of his life. And that's what the Tribune later reported. And they later asked if she knew of any business transactions that could have led to his murder. And she just simply replied, no. So it's kind of hard to think, was she part of this? Did she know what was going on? Or was she just played stupid? Yeah, I mean, again, it's just like she, she's been married she, to this guy. And it's like, oh, I don't know if it's a worst kept secret that he's out here getting in all these women's guts. And what, you have to feel some type of way. Yeah. And it's happening. Unless so. she's giving her all this, I mean, unless he's giving her all this money and she's just mm-hmm. enjoying this, the light, the social life. Yeah. Maybe so, but I mean, um, we've seen we've seen cases where, you know, infidelity has led to people, significant others or spouses reaching their, you know, breaking point. See, I can't see her doing it, but I can see her finding someone to do it, oh. maybe. But I don't know. I still think it's some type of business transaction, some something money related, mm-hmm. and which was funny because even after Ellen Lewis said she didn't know any of their of uh, Ben's tra- business transactions, the cops actually had no trouble identifying several people that were having issues with Ben Lewis. There were actually complaints that Lewis was slow to pay off insurance claims, so that could become a little bit of. Um, a stickler. You think? <laughs> I would get a little irritated, too. Pre- actually, premiums Lewis collected didn't appear on his ledger books, which is a big no-no. 
He had stiff property owners of rents for his management firm collected from tenants. There is no doubt that Lewis back or Lewis's back was against the wall financially the entire time. And the police or the police official actually started telling that to the Tribune. Hmm. So when it was all said and done, police looked at everyone as a suspect. This even include the janitor who found Lewis's body alongside the janitor's helper, let alone the aforementioned suspects, and each were given and said that they were telling the truth when asked if they had anything to do with Lewis's murder or knew who the killer was. So pretty much, they they were all given lie detector tests, and they passed it. Wow. But we do both know the, vidal, or the validity of a lie detector test. Or the lack of thereof. So if you know how to stay calm in a stressful situation, you'll pass the light. Yeah, Maury taught me that. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I was... UIS taught me that. (laughs) What we mean is, in some cases, you'll see people who believe their own bullshit that they'll beat this test, that they can do it. And in the pre-DNA days, you could only get prints and blood evidence that only really revealed the blood type of suspect rather than confirm the match. And then the case would go cold. However, rumor and innuendo suggested that perhaps another reason why the investigation stalled so dramatically was maybe the police were in on the murder. And well, it's the Chicago Police Department and it isn't a stretch out of imagination. But according to investigative reporter John Coleman, who extensively detailed this case in his documentary, Chicago Plantation, through years of combing research, interviews, and documentary, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> combing research, interviews, and uh, FOIA requests. FOIA. There you go. Lewis, I feel like that sounds so weird, though. FOIA. 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 Those are really long to... Those are really long to 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 get if you request one. Like I remember, I had to do a story on like fucking parking meters, and I had to get a FOIA for all the parking tickets or some shit like in Springfield and like 2016. And yeah, that wasn't fucking fun. But yeah. did it not? It did take forever. Yeah, about two two and a half weeks. Oh, okay. So it's not really high in the It's a really, it's list. a really, it's a really intricate question because you have to ask like all these, uh, is it a really intricate process because you have to ask all these default questions like I am looking for so-and-so that occurred in the year, whatchamacallit, and Date then, this, time this. Yeah, it's a lot of who, what, when, where, and why, and, and then some, but yeah. Oh, wow. But um, anyways, after the police come through research interviews and FOIA requests, Lewis received a phone call from the home phone of Fillmore District Sergeant James Gilbert only a few hours before he was murdered. So it would be revealed that Gilbert later gave several contradictory statements about this phone call. So while the contents of the call were never distinctly determined, Gilbert and his partner, Sam Kaplan, were transferred out of the ward shortly after the murder. However, Robert Shaw, an acquaintance from the 24th Lord, would come out and say that Kaplan actually confronted him by the night after the murder and attempted to course him into the event that he was contacted by police. A few days later, Kaplan showed up in Shaw's office threatening Shaw. 
off. He didn't comply. Shockley met any challengers would meet a similar fate. Shortly thereafter, Robert Shaw and his brother fled the, to the city's south side, where black politicians controlled black wards. So, nothing came out of the Lewis murder as days turned into weeks, then months, then years, and decades. Then, on New Year's Eve 1984, the case would take a sudden bizarre turn when police got a tip that an ex-convict boasted that he killed Lewis. Stanley Kaczynski. See, how the fuck can I get all these easy words fucked up, but I can get Kaczynski right <laughs> off the bat? You must have been practicing. You know, yeah, in my head, I was like, I'm going to get this motherfucker. I'm going to get I'm gonna it. Get it. I'm going to practice it all night. Yeah, especially, especially last week when I, when we did the Cheshire murders. And <laughs> man, that was tough. That come was on, come on, sir, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, fuck you, okay? <laughs> get off the right. Oh. Get your ass. Get your white ass out of here. Yeah, 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 your words, not mine. I'm not a racist <laughs> bastard. But Stanley Kaczynski, a career criminal, bragged to a waitress at a restaurant that he frequented a few years earlier. I killed a black alderman years ago, he would say. The the uh, oh, officer report quoted the waitress as saying he shot him after he was handcuffed. His name hadn't come up until patrolman Bruce Johnson, Chicago Lawn District, submitted a report dated December 31st, 1984. First off, who just casually talks to a waitress that he killed somebody? Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things is that, hey, you know, you're you're a, you're an ex-convict. I mean, it's Chicago. Were you trying to get with her? Well, hey, you know what, hey, you, you're trying to get in them guts. I guess so. You do anything. But I, I guess also... You 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 put in that race element when he said I killed a black alderman. You don't think that there's going to, uh, you know, curry favor or if it was like I killed an alderman, you know. I feel like a convict wouldn't understand the political background of an alderman. I feel like that's a very specific remark that he made. Mm-hmm. Very, not like, well, oh, I, mean, I just killed a businessman. Right. No, I, I mean, killed an alderman. I mean, for its time, and I guess, like I said, it's really hard to say now because, you know, it's not, it's not, no, it, it, it didn't age well in the mind of, I guess, public opinion as regards to, I, I guess, notoriety and just the, the public awareness. But, I mean, when you got 20 years removed, and I guess this is still a, high-profile case for its time, I guess, if you say, hey, I killed a black alderman, this is the last, this was the last Chicago politician who was murdered, because, I mean, guys, this is Chicago, and there was a time where a lot of Chicago politicians, not a lot, but it was a good number of Chicago politicians. You didn't want to go to Chicago if you were a politician. Yeah, and, and like I said, I do, We, um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a couple of episodes down the line where we cover on said Chicago politicians getting gunned down, but... Yeah. I mean, when you when you're when you're in that environment where anything that can happen, you and how many times have we seen career uh, have seen criminals you know brag that they did something? But like when you look at though those criminals that brag though, mm-hmm. it's usually not a very it, the, the remarks aren't specific. Right. You know, it's, I mean, they are, but they aren't. You know, but, they are when they. When the, when the case finally gets like released, like. Mm-hmm. But think about the murders of the brown, uh, the Browns Chicken Massacre. 
they did true. brag to the, their friends, and again, it took years, I believe. But uh, you you never know with these you know with criminals and the deeds or misdeeds that they've done. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but back to our, our story. On January 1st, 1985, so the morning after Johnson submitted his report, Kudzinski burned to death when his half-story bungalow at 3324 West 38th Street erupted in flames. So that is an odd coincidence. That, that is, a, yeah, that, that's no coincidence. That is too much of a yeah. Fireworks are illegal in Chicago, so we know it wasn't fireworks. Yeah. And the fire remain, or the case of the fire still remains undetermined. So McMahon said bomb and arson detectives found burn marks on the floor where Kaczynski died. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. So detectives found out that after interviewing Kaczynski's neighbors, that after his death, after his death, but while he was still alive, that he would speak to his neighbors and he would let it be known that he had a hand in Alderman Benjamin Lewis's slaying. And he claimed that he had been in on the killing, but the neighbors didn't even know who Ben Lewis was. The whole thing was weird, Captain George McMahon, chief of detectives at that time, uh, were later to say. And I think that when you go around bragging that you did this, whether it was true or not, you have figures, you still have figures, powerful figures at that, who would want that to be silenced by any means necessary because who knows if he's talking about this murder freely, maybe Kaczynski would be willing to implicate more people, especially if they had a police report and they're fixing the interview with him. It's just, it's crazy to think, you know, because you, you do have, you know, it, I can't believe I'm saying, you have your different types of murders. You know, you have your murderers who are, who are very intricate, detailed. Those are your serial killer murders. Those are the people that need 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 the death penalty. You have your murders that are brag about. I killed a guy. I did this. I did that. But then you have this entire web of people saying they murdered, you know, Lewis. And it, it makes me wonder: is are these individuals who are saying this part of part of something bigger, like a mob, right. a gang? Were they paid to do this? Like what? What made them talk about that? Yeah. So, as it stands, the murder of Benjamin Lewis, as we alluded to at the beginning of this episode, remains unsolved to this day, as the case is no closer to being solved now as it was on February 28th, 1963. And that said, who killed the alderman? Was it angry clients who were stifled out of insurance claims? Was it a jilted wife or numerous lovers tired of woman Lu- the womanizing of Lewis? Was it the police in an effort to intimidate other black leaders of the 24th Ward who dare think different? Was it political or gambling uh, uh, henchmen who wanted to preserve the status quo? Or maybe was it Stanley Kaczynski, the criminal who probably knew too much and paid the price of associates, of political rivals? Uh, it's just you. Is this a case that has more? Obviously, I'm stating the obvious here, that has more questions than it has answers. And where it just, you it don't... Wasn't intervie- it wasn't interviewed. It wasn't investigated. There's not enough detail for us to know 
who it was, what happened, you know? Right. I feel like this, I, I feel like maybe that some type of police precinct were part of it because, mm-hmm. you know, not only were the handcuffs there and he was, you know, killed execution style, but they didn't do the investigation. They didn't go into detail about it. And the only people who'd be investigating would be the police officers. So if you're trying to cover up the case, why not botch an investigation? Right. But I mean, regardless, 56, and even though, yes, statute of limitations on murder, there is no such thing as statute of limitations on murder, but 56 years have passed. Most, if not all, of the suspects or the ones interviewed are dead. And even the ones who know what happened... They're entering their twilight. They're at their twilight. Fucking entering. They're at their twilight years, and if they're not going to give it up now, say ten, fifteen years. I mean, if it's not next and uh, impossible, I think this is going to remain unsolved. Do you think forever. they have enough evidence? No. Backed away to even reopen this case. Well, I mean, again, I, I, it's that's a really good question, but like, and I think with the documentary um, that we talked about, uh, Chicago Plantation by Joe Coleman, um, which we will find on the link. Like I said, that's not even on YouTube, and it's still like in the process because I believe it was like an early cut. But oh shit, there, there's a lot of information uh, from the FOIA, like not from like you know where you'll find it, but. Uh, mm-hmm. from police records and interviews. I mean, there's still people alive who know something, but are they... Maybe it's the fear of what happened to Stanley Wazinski. <laughs> Not that 80-year-old people are going to, you know, actually have the, the, the physical gumption to carry out a hit. But exactly. it's always the fear. It's always the fear, I, w- I would assume, you know? Uh, it, but, like, what is there to fear anymore, everyone who, if there was any type of related out of fear, mm-hmm. wouldn't that person be dead already? But yeah. 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 Oh, man. But, I don't know. There's. I do agree that it, this is something that, they, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of investigation going on, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's so much investigation, but it's like, they, when, when you, I guess it's when you have all these suspects including the police, but let's just get the police out because they're, they're the ones who are supposed to solve this. So let's just say for argument's sake, let's just take the police out of the element. When you have all these suspects, maybe if they could have done a more detailed job of just narrowing in on one person, again, it's, it's kind of hard when you pat, when every suspect passes the lie detector test and then you don't have all of, you don't have like, you know, damning evidence to tie it to somebody it makes it pretty pretty damn difficult to to you know solve it break the case yeah and at this point it's like i hope somebody just says something on their deathbed yeah i just think so, that's, that's so the only way, it out of the way i think it's gonna happen i mean other than that this is going yeah. to remain unsolved for I the mean, rest of time unless something pops up out of nowhere yeah but so yeah. that's it. This is the strange, mystifying, unsolved murder of Benjamin Lewis. And again, we'll leave it up to you guys. Uh, who do you think killed uh, Ben Lewis, Alderman Ben Lewis, based on the information that we talked about? Um, 
yeah, so we will be back uh, very soon. Hopefully, we're going to be recording in a couple of days, and we're going to be talking about something that has been in the news, uh, national news, in fact, um, the disappearance of Jamie Kloss, uh Yeah, that was a very, very crazy, like, yeah. whole saga. It's I a, mean, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and like I said, we will have a special guest. Uh, with us to talk about that, and she pretty much, she pretty much knows that shit like the back of her hand. Like I know every Rocky movie. Like she exactly. She covered this whole ordeal from the onset to the conclusion, which because the uh, perpetrator was sentenced, and like I said, we don't want to. Oh shit! If you already read, you already know what ends. But <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have her on to try to talk about her experiences of covering this. And, like, what was going through her head? I mean, as long as we're going to be talking about the facts of the case. But, yeah, I'm really pumped about uh, the next episode we're going to be doing. Yes, I'm really excited, too. And don't forget, guys, too, our one year is coming up. So I hope that you guys are ready. That is right. Oh, boy, how can anyone, how can I forget? Um, <laughs> our one year anniversary show, um, we're going to aim it to, uh, we're probably going to record it early, but we're aiming to have it up on June 12th. 2019, one year anniversary. That is another anniversary. Oh God damn it! We've already been, been <laughs> struggling it from all. You, if if you Google it, you'll know what it is. It's fucking OJ Simpson. It's the juice is loose, and that's also because who hasn't covered it? And like, yeah, <laughs> you know I have a lock screen of OJ Simpson. I don't know why. See, if you, you go on Snapchat, you'll see it, and it's like, God damn it. Was... You crazy ass. I'm this, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so, that said, um, you can find Cam on Instagram on Instacam630. You can find I gotta her. change that up. I'm gonna change it soon. Oh, you're gonna change it just, 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 to, just to throw me off base? Yeah. Fuck you, okay? <laughs> um, you can find her on Twitter on I Like Stuff. 6.30, and you can find her on Facebook on Cam E. Period Ren. And you can also find her on Pornhub under... Okay, I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I am under Pornhub under Bird for Your Enthusiasm. Oh, you... <laughs> Alex <forget> Camp. <laughs> I have it on private, so you're not going to find me. <laughs> so you can find Alex Camp on the Book of Face under Alex Camp. You can find him on the gram of Insta and Pornhub, Bird for Your Enthusiasm, <laughs> and Instagram. Wait, no, I flipped that one. Yeah, you flipped it. Tweeter is Bird for Your... No, Tweeter is... You know, I'm, I'm disappointed. You know, I'm just going to fucking do it because you you, then, you suck. I, you can find Insta- me on Twitter on Bird, Birdman Brand, for America. Instagram and Pornhub. <laughs> yeah, you... Okay, go. You fucker. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter on Birdman for America. Um, again, you can find me on IG on Bird underscore your underscore your enthusiasm. You can find me on the Book of Face on Alex Kemp, and you can find me on Pornhub on Barbo. Kemp. I'm, okay. I'm I deserve that one. You did, you did. But yeah, all jokes aside, all jokes aside, again, thank you guys for sticking with us for the last fifty or so minutes, almost an hour. Um, again, this is this is not possible without your support. We are going to try to get better. Um, I can't wait to cover all these exciting cases. Um, for Cam, this is Bird signing up. 
Signing out, I should say. Man, I am batting two. <laughs> I am batting two for eight with these things tonight. But again, guys, thank you so much. This is Killinois with Berg and Cam. Be there, be there or, or be, be killed, killed, bitches. Bitches. <laughs>